Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is in our shadow. Can you all hear me okay in the back? It seems that my mic might turn down. It's more than the first part of the service. My brothers and sisters in Christ, you and I and each one of us, everyone, were created by our loving God, Jesus Christ, for only one reason, to know and be known by Him. We were created in His image, and your purpose is to grow into His likeness with the help of His grace and His love and His exempt, so that you may have fellowship and true communion, unity, him, the one true God, and unity and communion with each other. Everything Jesus Christ, our God, has done and is doing, is said and is saved, is done for this very purpose. That we might have communion with Him. Everything that we experience in our lives must be seen. We are to be helped to grow and to live up to what God has created us for and called us to. Must be seen through this lens. What is the purpose of our creation? Because in this world, there are many temptations, many alternative purposes to our lives. But first and foremost, this is what we created for. As I was trying to gather my thoughts um, for this homily and reading the gospel. A <coughs> scripture came to mind, and I wasn't sure how I might integrate it in later, so I thought I'd just put it at the front and see if it trickles down somehow. But it's from St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. The God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. Forgive me, it seems to bear a few. As I was planning what I want to say this morning in regards to this gospel, I came across a short homily by Metropolitan Anthony Bloom, or, or Metropolitan Anthony of Suresh, who was a Russian metropolitan in Great Britain, who reposed in 2003. So he is not a saint yet, but um, I found this beautiful little homily. Forgive me, it's not always easy to listen to a homily being read, and it's only a portion of what I want to say today. And it's, it seems to be quite short, but 
found that as I was reading it, he was saying everything that I had wanted, not everything, but much of what I wanted to say. And he said it better. So he knew he, uh, hopefully, it would be easy to listen to. He starts, yeah. I want to attract your attention to two or three of the features in today's parable. We are told that a man was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. In the, Old Testament, in the Old Testament, Jerusalem was the place where God lived. It was the place of worship, the place of prayer. And he was now on his way down to the plain, down from the mountain of vision, to where human life takes place. And on the way, he was attacked, stripped of his clothes, wounded, and lay on the wayside. And three men came one after the other, following the same road. The three had been where God lives. Three had been in the place of worship, adoration, and prayer, and two of them passed him by. The text is so vivid when it says that the priest simply passed by. It does not even indicate that he passed a glance on him. He was a man vested with high authority. He had nothing to do with common human needs, at least that is what he thought. He had learned nothing from praying to the God who is love itself. And then another man came, a Levi, a man versed in the knowledge of the scriptures, but not in the knowledge of God. He came, he stood above the man, wounded and dying, and continued on his way. His mind was on higher things than a human life, than human suffering. <coughs> and then a man, a man whom the eyes of the Jews was despicable, simply by being what he was, not for his moral or other effects, but because he was a Samaritan, an outcast, a bride. And this man stopped over the wounded man because he knew what it was to be rejected. He knew what it was to be alone, to be passed by others in contempt and at times in hatred. And he bent over this man and he did what he could do to heal his wounds. He took him to a place of rest, and all this he did at his own cost. Not only did he paid the hostelry for the hospitality which they were bestowing on the wounded man, but he gave him his time, gave him his mind, and gave his heart. He paid the cost in all the ways in which we can pay the cost of being attentive to people around us. We have spent the whole morning in God's own presence. This was originally given in the liturgy. In the place where he lives, we have heard God's voice speaking to us about love. We have proclaimed that we believe in God, who is love itself, the God who gave his only begotten Son, that each of us, and not all of us collectively, but each of us personally, might be saved. And we are going to leave this church. And we will meet more than one person in the course of the coming week, or until a later day when we come together again. Are we going to be like the priest of the Levite, pondering on what we have learned here, keeping our hearts the wonder and the joy, but passing by everyone because to care for things lesser might disturb our peace, take our mind and our heart away from the sense of the marvel of having seen God and having been in his presence? If we do this, then we have understood little, if anything, of the gospel, of Christ, or of God. 
And if we ask the young man or the lawyer, if we ask like the young man or the lawyer, but who is my neighbor? Who is he for whose sake I must be prepared to let go of the deepest feelings of my heart, of the most lofty concern of my mind, of the vast appeal within me? The answer of Christ is simple and direct. Anyone, anyone who is in need of you on any possible level, on the simplest level of food or shelter, of gentleness and kindness, of thoughtfulness and friendliness. And if one day, and it may never come, but it may come at any moment, if more is asked, then we must be prepared to love our neighbor as Christ has taught us, with the readiness to lay down our lives. It is not a matter of giving one's life in the sense of being killed. It's a question of giving day in and day out of our concern to all of those who are in need of concern. Those who sorrow need consolation. Those who are lost need strength and support. Those who are hungry need food. And those who are destitute need clothes. And those who are in a spiritual disarray may need a word that streams from the very faith which we receive here, and which is life. Let us therefore go from this place Remembering this parable not as one of the most beautiful things which Christ has said, but as a direct itinerary, a direct way in which he calls us to be and to treat one another, and to look around with attentive eyes, remembering to the smallest kindness. One warm word, one attentive gesture may make all the difference to the life of a person who is alone to face his or her own life. May God help us to be like the Good Samaritan on all levels and to all people. Amen. You'll be tempted to stop there as Metropolitan Anthony did. But it seems to me that at the end he wishes for us to be like the Samaritan. And as Christ does, he says, go into likewise. But for us, when we look to find ourselves in the parable, we really do want to see ourselves as the good guy, the good Samaritan. But how poorly we, if we're honest, live up to that role. How often have we behaved more like the Levite or the priest? How often have we seen someone in need? And we measure our ability to meet that need. We stop and count the cost, afraid that maybe we're not really up to it. And by the time we reason within ourselves, our chance may be lost. How many times have we been afraid to get sucked in to that too needy of a person that made us feel like we might be pulled into something bigger than, than we want to get pulled into? we're not careful, we can hear, go and do likewise. Be like the Samaritan. And the gospel really just bounces off our ears. But if you've ever seen the gospel, I'm sorry, the icon of this gospel, it is Christ who is the pig. It is Christ who is seen bending over the wounded man and tending to himself. 
to his wounds, blinding them, and as Christ was carrying him to the end. This gospel is an image of Christ's caring, self-emptying compassion, which we, being united to him, are to him. But if we are really truthful with ourselves, and we want to recognize ourselves in this gospel, as Father Timothy at the marriage retreat really pointed out, we are the robbed, the beaten, the broken, the bruised. We're the ones who are lying half dead on the side of the world. We've been beaten and wounded by this world around us, by the culture we live in, by the lives we live, by our own choices. By our own sins. Sins which are not infractions of God's law, but sins which are self-inflicted wounds that we carry with us. We don't want to admit it. We don't want to be the weak person in the story. We want to pat ourselves on the back and say, we're okay. We're not broken. And this is the problem that the whole world faces. The world will not admit that it's broken. People who are not seeking Christ, who are not seeking healing, who are not in the church, will insist that they are the way they are because that's the way they are. Or because maybe that's the way God made them. They're not broken. But our brokenness is the beginning of our healing. At least our recognition of our brokenness is the beginning of our healing. To acknowledge our brokenness and our wounds is our repentance. And repentance has been given us for salvation. Christ, the God of all comfort, has come to us, the broken, the wounded, the half-dead. And he poured on the oil of his mercy to heal our wounds. And the wine of his love, his sacrificial and he brought us to the end, that is, the church. And he healed us. And he continues to heal us. So that we can, little by little, go and do likewise. And we can live up to the admonition of the Metropolitan Anthem to be attentive, remembering the kindness showed to us, so that we can give to God. Who better to give care and compassion and comfort to those who are in need of help of anyone than we who have been comforted and are being comforted and healed by Christ? Now we are all still being healed. And even in our brokenness, even in our weakness, we are called to be like the Samaritan, to be more and love works in us so that we can freely go and do life.